Welcome to Verbal Art, a podcast where we talk about artsy stuff in different locations. Hey you. Um, so this is the second half of one episode, or well, it's divided into two episodes, episode 30 and 31, but this is part two of uh, of a combined session. Um where I interview myself about my current master's thesis project, um, which is a cassette tape that I made and self-released, and it's called The Silence of Sea Tower. Um, it became too long, this whole project of, I interviewed myself twice and for like hours and hours, and then I edited together parts of the two interviews so that um, I was talking to myself like interviewing myself in the night and in the day and then like I was talking to myself in the night and in the daytime um, but yeah it became such a big project and such a big episode that I thought it was better for all of us to do it in two chapters so this is the second and final part of this episode and um Yeah, I apologize if there are too many, uh, if I repeat myself, it's not so easy to moderate yourself. When I interview other people, they don't get to ramble so much because I stop them and like guide the conversation. But it's really hard to guide yourself while talking. So I had to edit a lot of repetition out. And yeah, I think this this collage style episode it would have benefited from a lot more editing time like it was really it was a massive editing job and i i did not have the time right now to to do it as a proper big job so this is what i managed and i i think it's good i think it's interesting but yeah uh i also recognize that it might not flow in the same pace as my normal episodes So if you find it interesting, cool, happy to share. At least for me, it was interesting to verbalize my thoughts in this way. So as always, thank you for being here with me and thank you for listening. Oh, now the coffee is done. I don't know if you can hear it. Wonderful. bit of ASMR coffee pouring here for you. The sound is on the table as well. There is a section of me making coffee, but then it's uh, what I did on the table said, since I recorded sound for nine months, I recorded a lot of the same sounds uh, over and over again, obviously, because they're part of the daily soundscape here. And a lot of the things that I do are rhythmical and habitual, such as making coffee. Um, so then in the end for the composition I uh, layered many of these uh, tracks to kind of like I don't know play around with like 
um, this weird time travel or time stretch feeling that I think uh, rhythm is or like everyday patterns to do the same every day is like do you then ever do it more than once or like is it just the same moment that you're experiencing again and again or is it actually separate instances of the same action I don't know I've, I mean of course it's separate instances but like mm, the essence of it somehow I don't know I have a really strange um, super strange difficult relationship with patterns and continuation and this kind of like repetition I didn't used to like to repeat myself and in my art I would always like do something new every time but more and more I'm like appreciating or like finding it curious and beneficial to work with repetition as, as a method or a tool and so anyway uh, this project is a lot about like my weird relationship with time expressed in different way so the night and the day but then also this idea of like stretching a moment or duplicating it or experiencing the same moment many times across time so listening to like me making coffee many times over like almost a year but you're listening to it as if it's like a one time happening. Yeah, could you maybe um, go a little bit more technically into that for those listeners who are who are interested? Yeah, sure. Um, so, so I recorded the sound on my Tascam DR40X, which is a handheld recorder. It's very similar to a Zoom. Um, but for multiple reasons, I decided to buy the Tascam instead when I invested in my own. Um, one of the main reasons is that uh, this one, it takes only six seconds from turning on until it's ready to record. So when doing field recording, uh, how quickly you can catch a sound that is happening is like crucial. Uh, also, this... A recorder can handle like extremely large SD cards like I think 128 gigabytes or something which for audio files is a lot but in any case I recorded everything on this and then I edited it in <laughs> Adobe Audition which is uh, for those who know about sound and know about Adobe like it's not great sound software it's really not. It's not. Adobe was not initially made for editing sound, but the Creative Cloud suite, like they have kind of built it out to be this Imperium where they want you to just like shuffle between all their software and not use anything else. And because of this system, I already had it installed on my computer and I was really in the habit of working with Adobe software. So a lot of the shortcuts and way that the software and the interface is working is not completely the same, but it's equivalent and it's easy to learn how to navigate it. So that's like the main reasons why I it's not something I would have ever chosen before. But I have to say that I don't hate it, actually. 
I don't know, like for I'm editing the podcast in it also and, and somehow for for this basic timeline working, I don't use many plugins or effects. And I think that's where the main like dividing line is. I don't hate it that much for like basic cutting editing. Um, yeah. And for the, for this, like, uh, the silence of sea tower, this, uh, thesis project, one of my main decisions from the big, from like working with field recording was that maybe I was going to chop it up. Maybe I was going to layer it, you know, like, uh, so obviously it was not trying to be a neutral soundscape. It was not like documentary sound, but I was going to try and not um modulate or uh, manipulate or morph or in any way like change the sound more than basics so i would cut it into pieces and i would layer it i would um of course eqing a little bit because the recorder in itself has a no noise floor so um the recorder in itself is adding some electric noise to the recording and especially when you record really subtle low sounds you have to crank up the volume on the recorder a lot and when editing you have to crank it up even further to be able to properly hear anything and so the the noise floor from the recorder itself it becomes very audible you know you can manipulate sound a lot you can really make it sound like anything from outer space or from inside a a cave or a well or whatever like there are all these like effects you can use eqs and reverbs and stuff but i i mean in the podcast i always only use the actual reverb of the space that we recorded and so for the silence of sea tower i wanted to do the same i didn't want to add like fake space reverb is like adding the sound of a space like it so like how things would echo inside a church or inside a small room or something so you can mimic this with different reverbs and I don't use that for any of these projects because part of the whole premise is that spaces have specific sound and so yeah so I have uh, an EQ like with a hiss cut which means I'm just removing the very very top hiss uh, which is basically <laughs> like a little bit outside of human hearing but not really but it's this really like static sound and it's basically just to try and neutralize the recorder a little bit so it doesn't i can never neutralize it it's my biggest collaborator on all of these projects thank you so much to my Tascam for always being there with me but um i still don't want it to be this noise to be too dominant because then when you layer like 10 recordings on top of each other if they all have this and you have like raised the audio level on all of them then this sound it becomes really loud and maybe you can't hear any of the other noises you or sounds you had recorded uh, but if you record the sound of like electrical noise you need the really high hiss so you don't want to neutralize anything so I, I do as little as I have to for it to sound good for the cassette tape, I still didn't want to like add fake reverb or um, EQ or filter the sounds too much. And I didn't want to like 
I try to work with like found rhythms of things. So I have layered sounds and I, I did create like dynamics and, and, and like control the sound in this way. Uh, but a lot of the recordings are like longer soundscapes where I have respected the natural duration of sounds. And a lot of times I have worked with like um, naturally occurring rhythms or harmonics um, that kind of just like appear out of nowhere or especially sometimes appear in the headphones when you listen back to it. So yeah, I think maybe that's enough. That's enough editing talk. Um, that was my fridge just turning on, if you heard that. That is like a really big uh, performer on the Silence of Sea Tower tape and part of what would be considered background noise in this space. She will sing whenever she feels like it. In the middle of the night when everyone else are quiet and we have everyone has gone to bed and then the fridge just like breaks out in this big dramatic serenade. She ended up becoming this like star on the on the tape, you know? Because I had just so, so many recordings of her. I had attempted to record exactly the moment when she begins or when she stops singing. There's this little like plunk sound sometimes, like a bubble bursting or something. Um, really interesting transitions between silence and noise. Uh, noise being as when I'm trying to sleep and the tower is finally silent and then like this fridge just starts like singing super loud but then like all the singing was just so beautiful and so I think uh, there's like at least 20 minutes on the tape that is basically just Sulinda singing in a choir with herself and I facilitated that for her to do that for that to happen and you know while editing here and playing it back in the space she was like jamming along in real time and so I don't know I feel like sometimes I'm just a conduit for these like a space to experience itself somehow. This little secret art haven can happen, right? Uh, which is also why I'm interested in performing the, the live version of, of this work in these like secret spaces, secret art spaces or secret venues or yeah, somehow something that is like not in plain sight somehow. How are you performing this project? Yes, very good question. Uh, yeah, I perform it in just such a wonderful way, if I may say so myself. Very fun. Um, because like ambient noise as a genre, both of these genres, ambient and noise and the crossover of more ambient noise style, all of these music genres are uh, in a sense quite boring. I mean, they're not, but they're very like attentive listening and the concerts can be very serious and all of this. And so I thought, ah, shit, it's a little bit like intense to invite people to a concert and then just press play on a tape play player for like one and a half hours that everyone like can sit there really concentrated and serious listening together to this soundscape. I thought, Phew, that's probably not how I want it to be experienced. I prefer that people then like buy it and experience it at home. But for the performance, I thought, 
I want to do a performance that has like a, a point of existence in itself that is not just pressing play on something that people might enjoy more on their own time alone at home, but something where it makes sense to, to do it live with a, an audience, something where I am like more active in it or that it's more of a, a show. So I decided to do this whole different iteration um, which is a fancy word word for version or yeah so I have bought a lot of old tape tape players and ghetto blasters and all this and so basically for the live performance which is titled narrative noise I am a sucker for really good titles and word puns and many times in my life a project will more or less be instigated with like a good word pun or a good title that is just like too good to let go and then I will like tailor the project to fit with the really good title and so the title narrative noise came to me after going to bed before falling asleep one night during this process of work I had been like struggling a bit with for a while how I should present it live or like contemplating and then like one night after going to bed I was almost falling asleep and then it just came to me like narrative noise and I had to sit up and turn on the lights and turn back the computer back on and then I had to like write a page of associative notes about what that meant and then I just knew this was what I was going to do this was the way the the solution had spoken to me and had like uh, formed itself in my mind. So for the performance, I um, I deconstruct the composition. So I have recorded a s separate set of cassette tapes that is only for performance. So basically on the actual work, like what people can buy, the Silence of Sea Tower, the, the tape, I have layered a lot of recordings into this one composition soundscape. Then for the performance, I take different parts of these layers, different parts of this composition, and I record them onto separate tapes so that I can reconstruct this layering and this composition live on multiple ghetto blasters at the same time. Um, so it's kind of like this orchestra of ghetto blasters that I am then conducting live. And every time the layering and the composition is slightly different, the timing is slightly different. Um, so it's the kind of like um, the source of the work is the sound of the space. And then the whole project is me trying to convey that in different ways. Because there's also like private listening or collective listening is also different experiences, you know, like as a listener to listening to listen to the tape at home, you can decide where to start or stop. You can like rewind and re-listen. You can be focused and still or you can be active and do other things while listening and like not be inattentive in your listening. You can decide to listen on headphones and immerse yourself or you can let the sounds of a tape player mix with the natural soundscape, the ambient of the acoustic ecology that you are in. And so they then those two worlds will like merge and you might not be sure 
what belongs where or where they s start or end and that's really interesting it's like site displacement um, so then the tower gets to travel and and maybe go now to other countries and and tell the stories of the ocean here in other places around the world like this traveling troubadour um, but of course in a performance situation uh, I am controlling more of the narrative and I'm controlling more of the external like mechanical factors like I decide the volume level I decide the venue space the venue like affects the experience a lot for both me and and the tape players and the audience but I decide the setup I decide how to place the tape players in the room I decide how to position myself in relationship to the audience if I am like on a stage and the audience is like sitting and watching me I decide if they're sitting on chairs or on pillows on the ground or if they're standing uh I decide if I put the audience in the middle of the room and place the tape players in a circle around them, you know, if I move around or not. All of these decisions, and they all affect the listening experience, but at least like collective listening is different uh, in like in several ways in that maybe people are like there is an insinuated expectation of presence and focus and concentration and respect towards like that someone is performing something so the moment that I start performing or talking the audience will cease to sound like they will become quiet because now is the cue that they should stop their own sounding and focus on my sounding uh, but at the same time also you know if one person starts clapping then this collective applause will break out because uh, the sound of the audience like uh, it functions as this um, natural volume button that is like self-regulating so the audience amplifies itself exponentially in this way also up and down um, which is like this self reinforcement uh, it's a special experience and and it can add some strength and in strength and intensity and to the to the sound experience um, but also since you can't stop it and like pause or rewind or something there's only this like momentary opportunity to consume and to experience and so maybe the focus is more concentrated it's more present in a way or maybe people are super distracted but then usually they try to hide that they are so you they don't show their distraction maybe at home they don't mind so they will leave the room while something is playing like they won't pause it when they go to the bathroom possibly and I mean you can go to the bathroom doing a performance but it's not like people are just walking in and out of the room it's quite this like uh, sensitive moment I don't amplify any of the tape recorders with like external mics or speakers so at least I, not until now and not in the plans so then 
people are quite respectful of like some of these sounds being very like subtle and and so yeah so definitely this is also something i've been writing about because this is part of what i have to examine in my thesis and and explain the choice of medium and the choice of presentation so that's part of why it was so expensive to make this project because i bought a lot of old ghetto blasters and even though on this like well yeah it's called like the blue avis in danish or klein Siegen in german or tori here in finland basically like where people online sell used shit to each other and so i bought a lot of these tape players from all around finland that people would mail for me it was a long process of like writing in Finnish with all these people and asking them, did you check it? Does it work? And everyone's like, yeah, it works. And then they send it to me and then half of them just did not work. Uh, <laughs> either people didn't check them or they broke in the mail or I don't know. Um, and it was a lot of work to get my money back for all the stuff that didn't work. So in the end, I just kept them and I, I started researching and learning how to fix them. And I have not mastered this yet but i have been like cleaning all of them and some of them i have fixed a little bit one of them that was actually playing perfectly i completely broke it recorded almost one full tape of my sound and then it decided to just start screaming and it would not stop again and then i took it completely apart all over the floor like an operation table like the surgery happening and this was the night before my performance and then i stopped myself and realized that this was not the time for that kind of uh, work so yeah uh, this is part of why I included a link for a digital file because I realized even if someone does have a tape player it might not be reliable because they're really old and fragile and yeah I mean tape is not the most durable medium it doesn't last forever it lasts I think maybe it's about 30 years or something um, which is not bad, but it's not forever. And the tape players, they can be restored, but they are vintage and they have these like uh, elastic rubber bands inside them that can get frailed and worn out with time. You need to clean them like the little magnetic uh, metallic parts inside that reads the tape. They get like dirty with time, so they need to be cleaned and yeah. A lot of these people have kept in their garages or attic spaces for like years and years and years. So they're super dirty. Um, so yeah, my whole studio is full of tape recorders everywhere on all the shelves and on the floor and like on top of boxes on the table everywhere. Just so many cassette tapes, so many ghetto blasters. Um, but it's quite nice. It looks really nice in the performance and it's really nice to get to know all these different musicians in the band because they all have their different voices. Like each of them have their own characteristic. They all add their own level of noise to this already noisy composition. And there are more performances scheduled because uh, the first one, I'm not sure, like, you know, with with performances or something like this. It's a little bit like making pancakes. You only get one first, but also it's hardly ever the best. You kind of have to just like crack the concept open and then it like you can practice it and it gets better. 
And so the first one, I did it in Vapenta Dentila, which I have at least one podcast episode from there with Arvid van der Reit and Juliana Irene Smith. It's one of the first, like maybe the second episode ever. It's this old underground bunker. It has insane acoustics. It was not a great space for this. Uh, the, a lot of the ghetto blasters, they don't play very loud and I didn't mic them up. Uh, so... It was not great and it all got a little bit stressed. One examiner had to leave early and so I allowed myself to like get stressed and I made a bad call, a bad decision in the spur of the moment and I I stressed the whole program and I was rushing through everything. So a lot of the audience came very late and didn't see much of the performance, which is such a shame because actually just so, so many people came. I organized everything myself, did all the PR, and somehow I managed to draw so many people there, even a lot of people I didn't know. And I thought the only people who would come would be people I knew who would come to support my project. But no, even so many strangers came because they liked my poster or something. It was also fucking cool, but you know, (laughs) in general, such a shame to do all this work and then that the actual performance is like accidentally like uh, and not really synced with the whole thing or yeah many words I, I don't know it's bad to critique your own things in this way or not necessary maybe but the good thing is um, you decide yourself how many release parties you can have so I'm gonna have as many release parties as I want to and as many performances and I'm very excited to perform this uh, piece in many different spaces because all spaces add their own acoustics and their own noise and the ghetto blasters act differently in all the spaces and they get to sing different voices of the harmony every time and yeah i do have several performances uh, scheduled like not with fixed dates yet but i i have an agreement with akusmata this like a sound art venue gallery in helsinki that i'm gonna do a performance there in the autumn and it's my plan to come to Copenhagen in the autumn holiday in October and, and have a release party there. And I need to still make agreements about like what venue to use. But I do have some on the wish list. So that is in the that is cooking. And uh, well, I've been considering if I should do like private small intimate concerts here in my actual studio space, like where maybe inviting audience like why is it only the artists that are always curated? Why not curate the audience and like privately invite people very exclusively? But also if they're going to be in my bed and it's very intimate, like, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I've been considering if I should do that because then like all the the roommates here who perform on the tape, they could perform live. And I don't know. It's That's wonderful, right? With a performance concept or something like this. Like the tape is made. That sound is like fixed now. That won't change. But the concerts can change. And so the same sound can keep evolving. Or the experience of the same space can keep changing itself and presenting itself in different ways. A little bit like a performer can keep changing their costumes, even if they're singing the same songs. Uh, And so... How can people listen to this tape? Can they? 
Well, yeah, I mean, if you're in Helsinki, you can hear it live later in the autumn, at least in Akusmata, I will do concerts. The date is still not set, but it is going to happen. And, and I have plans of doing other pop-up events as well. And I will go to Copenhagen, I think in the autumn holiday. So if you're there, I will try to set up a release party live performance then. If you want to get a hold of the tape, you can buy it. This is the first time in my life that I have redistributed a work for people to uh, own, which is also a really weird, weird thing for me to do. Yeah, it's a bit weird. I usually don't sell anything of my art. Like, it's not a common practice for me. It's kind of the first time that I ever, like, produced a product in this way. So that was a little bit ambivalent for me. But uh, also in a way nice and interesting and to be able to actually share an artifact with people um, not just have it as an event that, but that people can like own the artifact and to prize your own work oof, it's difficult to put like a number on yourself and like and the work and I mean yeah not easy somewhere in between fuck I put a lot of hours into this and then, oh my God, but no one asked you to. <laughs> is it really is it really good enough that someone needs to own it? Is it is it relevant for anyone in this universe? But I think it might be. I think at least it's really good. I'm very happy with it. So now you too can own the sound of my life and experience the sound of this place. I bought 200 tapes blank and I'm recording every single one of them myself one by one and so I decided on 20 euros for a tape because it's one and a half hours so it's a pretty long sound piece it's like I tried to think like how much would people pay for a CD if that was still a thing and since every copy is like originally recorded here they are all unique actually they do not start exactly at the same time or yeah but the tapes are made from recycled plastic, so we can save the oceans. And all the hand, like the covers of the and stuff are hand, like they're printed and hand cut and hand folded. And you can choose the color. It's the same picture, but it's different shades of night. So you can decide like how late or early in the night you feel like being. Um, if you want, if you're interested in, in owning this, in in buying this tape, send me an email to the podcast email. Verbal.art at protonmail.com So verbal and then like period or full stop art, the funky A, protonmail.com. I will add a link in the show notes. And let's talk. I will send you like some... Uh, visual samples for you to choose the color of the cover and you also have to pay the shipping cost and I don't know how much that will be it depends where in the world you are but uh, yeah it's possible to get a hold of this piece and uh, and can people still listen if they don't have a tape player yes yes they can so I'm not gonna put this work up digitally Inside the cover, I wrote the link to a Dropbox folder where you can find the digital files. 
So if you buy the tape, you buy access to the digital file. Uh, because I realized last minute that even if you have tape players, they are quite unreliable, these old things. And also the sound experience is really different because the saturation of the digital master and the tape master is like when you put something on tape, the, the saturation of the sound, how it's compressed is quite different from the digital uh, acoustic space. So actually the two listening experiences are like a little bit different versions of the same work. The tape player that you're playing on and like the tape itself and stuff, it adds its own flavor of mechanics and noise and things. So um, I do also recommend if you have a tape player to listen to it on the tape player and to listen to it on, like on your headphones or on good speakers from the digital file just to hear the difference. I was quite surprised of how big a change happens in like uh, when I compress the sound on the tape. Also, I mean, so the whole thing is I consider it that I, I kind of live in like in a pocket of this big, big building. This huge building has like all these little pockets. And so I'm like hiding in one of these pockets. And now I have taken the sound of this building and I put it on a cassette tape, which is like a pocket format. So now you can put this building in your pocket and bring it anywhere else in the world you want to. And uh, this kind of like a mobility that this very static tower that has always been fixed here gets to travel and and like sound in other spaces i don't know i think that's uh that's kind of neat um yeah i don't know i like that i think maybe it's interesting to talk about like uh the narrative part of the narrative noise oh yeah sure there's this whole part of the performance that you didn't tell about yeah, so uh, for the performance, since I had decided on this really beautiful title of narrative noise, I, I got fixed on this idea of narration and, and the narrative of things, which I think is a little bit silly. And I don't know, maybe I regret it. But anyway, it ended out like that. And so I wrote this like story that I am I'm telling when I do the performance. So in between the sound I take like these moments of like storytelling and it's kind of because I think living inside your project like this I I, I, I phrase it as an auto fictional work which basically means like that it's a fictionalized autobiographical work uh, like a lot of writers also work with this um, framework and so that the lines between like reality and fiction are kind of blurred, which I think mirrors quite well that the lines between like private life and work life here and like artwork and and normal like everyday life, all of these lines, they're like blurred and, and um, I'm overstepping these boundaries back and forth all the time. I kind of live in this like fairy tale bubble of like is it fiction is it reality um the building is alive i realized after moving in you know it's like it's 
breathing and talking and singing and chatting and gossiping and whispering and coughing and creaking and crackling. So many sounds. And I don't know if any of the other people who are here listen to it, if they really, really listen. And I don't know if any of them speak back. I do. I, I sing a lot in the night. I feel like I I talk to the tower. I sing to the tower. I feel like me and all these roommates here, we all have our own voices. We, we talk to each other. Uh, they all have their own personalities and characteristics. And And so... I have written this like a narrative fairy tale from this that I intertwined in my performance. The tape is a more abstracted version and then like the performance I step into character and like I'm visibly visibly on the stage and, and I take the and verbalize with words things. Whereas like uh, the tape is non-verbal. But I really feel like the tower is like an entity and that like I have this like non-verbal communication with it. There has been a lot of feedback in this process, you know, like recording and then listening back and then composing, which is kind of a new form of recording and listening back while doing that, of course, and then recording onto tape, which changes the saturation of the sound, the compression and like the sound on the tape and then like listening back to the tape afterwards and then recomposing for or deconstructing the composition for performance tapes and so re-listening and re-recording again so a lot of like yeah back and forth like this loop of like feedback process of input output like listening and recording and listening and recording it's very interesting what happens to the material when you keep subjecting it to this kind of uh, treatment the material being the sound of the space. So where did I come from now? Yeah, the emotional aspect of, of this process. Yes, true. Uh, and how it's like an investigation. Yeah, exactly. So I have talked about before on this podcast how curation is kind of... Uh, like a puzzle, like putting together a screening program of independent art films that do not belong to each other, but then you coherently try to present them as a combined entity. Um, any kind of like this combination of elements is is like putting together pieces of a puzzle that I know there is a right way. I know they fit together. I just need to figure out how they fit together because it's not clear, they're not pre-cut. Um, so making the composition of this work was a little bit the same. So like when I recorded these sounds, I had an idea of what I wanted to do with them, but I also was very open to just like collecting sounds in the beginning and not like I wasn't editing from the beginning, you know. I was collecting for like eight months and then I started editing. And then I was still recording a bit while editing the last pieces and also just because like daily sounds, there's a great sound, I recorded. Um, and so also recording the sound of me making the project, like writing on the thesis or 
things like this. So I had an idea when I was recording of what I wanted to to record and how I wanted to use these sounds, but also I got a lot of things that I didn't anticipate because they're just, you know, that's the thing about sound and field recording. You can't really control it. You can't separate the sounds from each other. Visually, you can separate things from each other a lot easier, but sound, it mercs together, which is really interesting. It's hard to say what is far away and what is close when you're just listening to the sounds of them because you hear them reaching you. So the sounds that are far away, you just you hear them after they have traveled further. But once they reach you, they are just as close to you as the sounds that are immediately next to you. Um, so yeah, I don't know what I wanted to say with that. That's just one of the interesting things I was reading. I can't remember who wrote about it, but I read about it and I was like, yeah, that's true. Um, so yeah, when composing and stuff, I had an idea of what sounds belong together and how and what was important and what I wanted to say with it. But sometimes the sounds, they didn't agree with each other or with me. And so I had to do something different. It's this balance of like following a plan and keeping like uh, the director's <laughs> uh, hat on and keeping like an overview as being the composer. And then also just allowing the sounds and the machines and the material to be performative in itself and allowing it that agency to allowing the sound material the agency of of having a life on its own and and letting it show you what it can do and letting it decide how it uh how it should be so yeah it's this like ongoing negotiation between plans and and like reality uh between proposition and like yeah expectations and then results or what is actually there as you can maybe hear it's uh <laughs> it's a trippy process that i'm in like that's what i started with saying here now today going this deep into your own work is really interesting but it's also very very special place to find yourself Honestly, through the last year, I think I have spent more hours in this room than outside of it, which is a little bit absurd, but it's a good thing that I really, really like this space. So, I I mean, with all these windows and all these plants and stuff, I quite enjoy being here and it doesn't feel like being locked up inside. Uh, but it is a little bit crazy to immerse yourself, to live in your workspace and then also make your workspace the subject of your main like research or or praxis it is a bit much i'm not sure i would recommend it to anyone else i i i think it has been an interesting process but i've also lived a little bit like this like hermit or hobbit or some kind of creature who doesn't mind <laughs> this like <laughs> locked up alone at home situation i have never ever before in my life gotten this much out of my rent you know you pay the rent for somewhere and then 
like you actually spend a lot of hours like not in this place but i have truly m maximized and optimized the hours i am getting for my rent in this place <laughs> So yeah, they, me, and night me, I mean, they have merged more. They used to be a stronger division. Again, this work is a lot about these perceived binaries, like day and night, inside, outside, private, public, because sound is such an interesting force that just like penetrates all these boundaries that we set up and doesn't give a shit. And then, <clears throat> of course, there are the sounds of the day and the sounds of the night, but then I record these sounds and I play back the sounds of the day into the night here and I allow the, the, the night to listen to the day for instance what's these for these sounds to coexist suddenly which is a really interesting experiment just as it's like super trippy and weird to sit with your headphones on and listen to recordings of you know doors being opened and closed in the hallway and then like hearing these doors slam in this very spatial soundscape and then being unaware if it happened in reality or if it happened now in your headphones. Um, because this idea of layering and repetition and like um, playback in the space is really a weird uh, immersive experience. It's like inception into, I have incepted myself into this space like over and over again somehow. I think also recording the sound of your life is a really therapeutic experience you know like there's a lot of catharsis in this kind of personal project and so it has definitely also helped me with merging like the sound of the day me and the night me here um, the, and then the more you do these kind of things like host a podcast or perform or record yourself sing karaoke whatever all these like witnessing yourself or you're witnessing your own performativity, the more you do these, engage in this kind of like activity, uh, the more like forgiving and accepting you are of your, yourself in that role. You know, if you've ever listened to your own voice recorded or something like that, it's super strange, but when you do it enough, you kind of get used to it. And so the more you do these things, the more you like accept your own humanity and like how you don't live up to your own expectations of yourself as a like performed human as a feedback loop this awareness has been feeding itself and feeding the way that I then am in the place um, so also the way like my sounds on the recordings and stuff like in the beginning I was trying to stand really still and be really quiet and then gradually I have like performed sounds more or less uh, with purpose I'm not really sure anymore where the when it's real and when it's composed or conducted I'm not sure when I am um, being like authentic me in the space or when I am performing myself in the space because of course I'm aware that it's recording when I'm here it's very interesting it's also uh, quite exhausting it's, it's to keep yourself under this like auditory magnifying glass all the time and after I had done all this work my brain was still like so deep in it I would be sleeping like a few weeks after my release party I, I had this 
moment in the morning where I was like sleeping and the construction work was working its way through the window, through my sleep, into my dream. And in my dream, I was editing and composing the sound. I could like see all the sound bits on the like timeline, all the tracks in the software and I was moving them around and I was like organizing the construction work. And then I woke up and I realized you've already done this work. It, the composition is done, it's recorded, but still like, you know, you can't like escape it, which of course I cannot escape it because I'm literally like living in it. I'm working in it. I'm stuck in this space with the same sounds. But so I also am aware that like you can't be in these kind of like super philosophical thoughts all the time. You know, I had this discussion with a friend recently, how, how art s studies and this kind of thing is really like studying philosophy in many ways. It's very existential. It's very like the ontology of your work. And there's a reason why all of these like people who were full-time philosophers, they were often like super crazy and really taunted and maybe quite dysfunctional. It's because if you're all the time operating in these like 10 layers of really impractical places <laughs> of your own situation, it's, uh, it's it can be a little bit pacifying. Which is why last night that I allowed myself to just have a cr crazy dance session the whole night. Because I needed that. I needed to shake it out a little bit. Yeah, it's a compromise space. If it was only for working, I would have more floor and wall space. But there's enough floor space that when, when it's not completely messy, I can still dance in here. I mean, not in all directions little bit side to side and then not so much back and forth or depending on how I flip myself of course. So what is it you're working on at the moment if your cassette tape is already done? At the moment as I mentioned I am trying to write my master's thesis in the Fine Arts Academy in Helsinki which means I have uh, not been writing or reading anything for about a month and a half. I'm generally just supposed to write, read and write and do nothing else with my life right now. But honestly, it's like, it's heavy as fuck, man. And now I have started and it's just not going fast enough. And I am starting to get quite stressed in my stomach, but still doing uh, everything I can to do everything else. All this like art theory is... Okay, so I'm not bad with academics. Uh, I was always a good reader, good at analyzing texts, stuff, having good like reading systems and stuff. But I, all these artists are the academics, but they're also artists. And so the texts are sometimes like unnecessarily poetic and philosophic. And all these artists make up their own ways of saying things that are not necessarily linguistically the best way to say something. But then, I don't know, they coined that for themselves in their research. So it's like... You know, when you talk about your own art and you talk about something as if it's like research, but then it's this weird existential research into your own practice. I do it too when I write now, 
my language becomes so colorful. And honestly, the last uh, meeting I had with my thesis supervisor uh, about a month and a half ago, <clears throat> and that's the last time anyone read any of what I've been writing, she said this thing that I was such an intense writer and I forgot to ask her what she meant about it. And now it has just been stuck with me for one and a half months. Like, what did she mean? <laughs> I still don't know. But I guess it is this thing that you get caught up in like the poetics of your, of the written part of your work as being part of the actual artistic piece, which is beautiful. That's the whole like wonder of this education. But it's also what makes it super difficult because the lines are blurred which is perfect for this project because my work is about the blurred lines and perceived like binary narratives that I don't really believe exist. But, mm, you know, it's not like science. Hard science has hard rules. There are ways to do things. There are protocols, there are like formulas, there are expectations. And within art, there is not. I mean, I need to follow strict citation guidelines and structures. So, so it needs to be, I need to decide on a citation system and I need to do proper referencing and quoting and footnotes and all of that according to that. So there are some formal rules that are really intimidating. But other than that, I kind of decide myself what a master's thesis is. It, you know, like I have to do these minimal required parts of like introduction summary things like there are some formal pages but it's very few and the rest i kind of like get to make up as i go along like regarding content and and layout and length and yeah it's very free and freedom is of course super nice and woo and, and it seems really desirable but sometimes freedom also means a lot of extra mental load a lot of extra like emotional taxation because you have to evaluate yourself and your methods to a higher degree or continuously uh, like when making art no one in like <laughs> western nordic contemporary art school tells you that your art is bad or good that's really those are not really terms we use it that is um, uninteresting we talk about why it might be good or bad but we don't just say that's not good enough or might as well drop that that's a bad idea because we're not like the study of art is not about someone making good artwork it's about process and why someone is interested in the topic and how they go about facilitating that interest um, so yeah you have to all the time figure out yourself <laughs> if something is good or bad <laughs> because the environment is so sensitive that no one will tell you or maybe that's just art school in Finland Finland is socially a really sensitive place uh, so people don't really tend to critique each other out loud uh, yeah, so the thesis process is similar. It has all the intimidating aspects of a big fancy university paper that needs to be 
checked by multiple official entities and approved and live up to like strict rules of plagiarism and and things but then at the same time you kind of have to like invent <laughs> the concept of your thesis while you're doing it and also you have to do it while writing about your own work which is a really ambiguous experience to go that deep into your own creation and like pick it apart and analyze it to this like minuscule level it's like putting your own like giving birth to something and then directly after no break in between you just shove it under a microscope and start dissecting it uh, and in a way it's a really fruitful experience and I'm quite enjoying it and I think it's really precious to have this opportunity to go this deep with any of my own work because that doesn't happen that often but I am also not sure if it's the best thing for the work I mean it's a little bit uh, <laughs> yeah there's kind of no going back once you start like digging into something that much then you opened it it's on the table all the insights are out I do kind of look forward to life after art school where I can just make things without people asking me to conceptually like um, defend it all the time or be able to know how all the pieces fit together or explain it that people can just experience the things I make and and know intuitively if they like them or not and that choices can just be aesthetic choices that I don't need to figure out what they mean but so you said that you were supposed to write last night but you didn't yeah so actually I didn't write all day yesterday uh, or the night I didn't read a single word I didn't write a single word or maybe I oh, it's not true I did write maybe half a page but not that much uh, what I did do however was dance a lot I had a wonderful dance session all night it turned into a little bit of a karaoke session in the morning and then one more round of dance session before going to bed but then my body was tired but I really needed the workout I have been lazy but also because in the spring I was editing so much sound and photoshopping posters for my work and and the cover for the tape and everything and it was just so much <clears throat> so much computer editing that I started getting this carpal tunnel syndrome um, it didn't go really wrong I never saw a doctor about it but my wrist was hurting a lot from the from the mouse action so I had to I wore this like wrist brace thing for like two months maybe so I also didn't exercise so much because you can't really use all these machines and weights and stuff when you have a bad wrist so yeah and while I was dancing I changed the bedding and folded all my laundry so it was not completely an unproductive night I would say the summer because of this whole thesis project there hasn't really been time or capacity in my life for like a real summer holiday and I have been working a lot like just like alone in this space instead of being out in the sunlight so I've been drinking a lot of rosé wine with like frozen strawberries in to make it cold and a little bit fancy and stuff and 
and so also so that it feels kind of like a holiday <laughs> and like a little bit of a party um but it does help to live in your workspace like uh previously in my life when i've been working a lot and being very stressed i i maybe would not sleep at all but also i would forget to eat or lose my appetite uh so i would just like drink coffee and i used to smoke a lot of cigarettes don't do that anymore and just uh yeah just work 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 which is not really sustainable you know it's it was okay when I was younger, but I, I don't, I'm trying to not live like that anymore because it's not a way to like build a career to, to keep doing that project after project. It doesn't like every deadline is just like burning your candle a little bit faster somehow. So honestly, at the moment, I, I'm probably eating better than I've ever done before in my life. Like the menu that I have been indulging in the last week has been spectacular. That is part of the whole like a procrastination game that uh, doing making really elaborate food and doing everything like homemade from scratch. It takes a lot of time and it's a nice in activity to engage in uh, where you can't work at the same time. So I listen to podcasts or something while doing this. And so it's a break. This thesis project uh, is a little bit uh, rolling homemade sushi and drinking rosé wine at 6 a.m. But no, I, I am also reading and I am also writing. I, I finally started last week properly again after taking a break. It's hard when you finally take a break. It's kind of like your brain starts hibernating. And then it's really hard to know when you have rested enough. And that what you are then actually doing is just like procrastinating and being lazy and dragging out the time. You know, like, when does it move from rest to laziness? Like from necessity to greediness or just like bad habits. And procrastination is like a potentially like important creative process or force in itself. It gives your brain like some time to rearrange things mentally and, and like steep but yeah maybe tomorrow because i then haven't been reading or writing for like two days i will have enough like guilt that i will really make an effort or maybe i will just have given my brain like a moment to breathe and absorb what it has read and so maybe i will actually be able to to do another like sprinter session it's a little bit like tour de france you know it's a marathon but it has also all these like mountain sprint uh, days. And so sometimes you're clim climbing up the, up the mountain. Sometimes you're just like racing down. Sometimes you have a resting day. Yeah, I think that's a good analogy. Writing a thesis is like competing in the Tour de France, but you are just only competing with yourself, kind of. So you're like, <laughs> you're driving the Tour de France alone. There's no one there to give you water or shout along the way. No one is like waiting in the sideline in funny costumes with signs that say they love they love you. And, you know, you're just driving alone through all of France, up and down and up and down. And when your bike breaks, which actually literally my bike broke the other day and I had to take it to the shop. Uh, it's like 
when your bike breaks or when you like uh, strain a muscle or something there's no one there waiting to like massage your calves or or like give you a spare bike no no you have to do it yourself so yeah this is where i'm at as you can maybe hear it's a little bit uh <laughs> it's a back and forth thing sometimes many days in one day i uh go from feeling great to uh being very confused sometimes i go a whole day feeling like i am totally capable of doing this and it's not that bad with the time actually i'm not that far behind i will make it and then every second day i'm like oh my god i started way too late i'm doomed this is insane why do i keep on reading i don't have time to read more i should just write and i'm just looking so much forward to finishing this main draft and having my supervisors read it and having some comments and some feedback and some guidance because now I've been alone with it for so long that yeah, I'm a little bit bored uh, restless or I don't know how to explain it I'm afraid I started too late I am a little bit worried that I I'm not taking it serious enough and I started too late this summer. I took too long a break after my release party because I was exhausted. I was mentally, mentally and physically tired from, from making the work and organizing my own degree show. And I mean, I had just been working nonstop the whole spring so much. And I'm still a little bit tired after my long COVID, not so much, but it's definitely not the same as upper secondary 13 years ago. Um, I mean, honestly, that was so easy <laughs> compared to this. Fuck. I know a master's thesis is also like a bigger paper, but shit, back then I would maximum use the four different colors of highlighter pens and the, so the systems would be quite clear. And now, I don't know, I have lost track of how many colors I'm using and I am not being consistent with the systems. And I don't know, it's also now everything is on the computer. So back in the day, I would always print all the texts and I would like physically highlight and write notes with pens and pencils and I would bring the text to a park and stuff and I would read actual books. They have us writing this thesis in the summer while the library is closed in the school which is not a super great time um, but also I have to write my thesis on the computer and it's like a really it's quite a big paper you can't really use a computer outdoor in the sun and so if I were to read all this text on paper it's a lot of printing and it's a lot of retyping if I have to type in all of these citations and stuff, all these quotes. So I am reading on the computer in Adobe Acrobat Reader and I am like using the digital highlighter pens and commenting system, which is amazing that you can do that directly from a PDF and just save the text like this. But I don't know, right now I'm in this like mode of trying to read as much as I can even though I know I don't have time to read everything I have I should have been reading and reading and reading but I just I was so tired and I needed to mentally just like distance myself a little bit from the process uh, I had release party in the end of May 
But now, since my release party is the time when I was supposed to really uh, to really focus on the on the written part of the thesis, and I just I was so tired. I I was exhausted. Uh, for the last few months before my release party, I was working day and night, like barely leaving the space, you know, and editing night and day and stuff. And so I would often have to close the blinds to be able to properly see on my computer. Like if I'm photoshopping an image, I can't see properly. I have to like keep it dark inside. So there was this one morning session of me editing the poster for my event which um, I knew I wanted this like uh, a pastel colored like sunrise background and uh, there's not a great view for it here to photograph it myself I would have wished that I could have used the natural sun sunrise background of this space but yeah it was not great possibility for that so I used stock images so yeah I went to like some stock image website to, to look at pictures of sunrises to like just scroll through hundreds of sunrises to decide which one was the correct one so you know as the actual sunrise was happening outside the window beautifully oh wow wonderful spring sunrise I had to close the blinds so that I could see the sunrises, the stock sunrises on my screen and decide which one was the most beautiful to use <laughs> and had the right colors. And that is just somehow the irony sometimes of this job. So the whole process has been a lot working with a computer. Yes, definitely, definitely. I record the, all the sound with my Tascam and then edit it on my computer and then mastered I mastered myself and recorded directly onto each tape individually and it's like an ongoing recording thing because it's real-time recording and I bought like 200 tapes blank and so that means it's 200 times one and a half hours so it's 300 hours it's a like I can't do that in one sitting like physically exhausted from just working too much and not sleeping and like uh, exponential stress levels in my in my nervous system but also like one crazy thing that was like when I was doing this work in the last 48 hours before the performance I was trying to record as many tapes as I could at the same time and I only have like uh, the setup with cables and stuff for so when you record from digital to analog which like tape is analog and from the computer is digital. It's not so simple. Like in the old days, people re record directly onto tape from analog mics or like whatever. Recording from the computer onto tape, not a lot of the tape recorders are built for this. Um, so even though I have like 10 ghetto blasters, it doesn't really make me able to record 10 tapes at a time. But I have one tape recorder that has like a line-in RCA cable that I can do like from mini jack out from the computer and then to uh, RCA into the tape recorder. 
so I can record one tape at a time and it's real-time recording so it means the tape is one and a half hours the tape takes one and a half hours for one tape 45 minutes on each side approximately so after 45 minutes you have to manually press stop and flip the tape and press start again so for about 40 or like 48 hours for two days before the performance I didn't sleep a full night because I was trying to like in the last hours to like squeeze how many tape I could out of the these hours as possible before the release party mm. and you know like the cover I have been hand cutting and folding and doing everything myself but yeah this like recording in real time one tape at a time you just can't really fight this process it's like out of your hands so for two days what I would do was that I would sleep 45 minutes at a time or not at all but when I was trying to sleep I would set my alarm to 45 minutes and then I would get up and flip the tape and sleep 45 minutes more so a little bit insane way of sleeping and what's more is that this um, tape player I got it used from another artist for free he really wanted someone to take it off his hands. I just wanted an amplifier he had. He said you can have the amplifier, but only if you take the tape player also. And so I thought, okay, whatever. And actually that is why I started thinking maybe I should work with tape. So thank you to this one guy. You kind of instigated this massive project for me. Sometimes it happens like that. What he said is, it makes a weird sound, like a mechanical sound when you're running it. It doesn't, the sound doesn't go onto the tape, but you can hear it in the space. There's a problem with it. I have, of course, recorded this sound and put it on the tape. But that's another story. Like, the matter of the fact is that for 48 hours, this tape recorder was running non-stop around the clock, sounding like this. I will take it to the other side of the shelf so you can hear it. I was sleeping on the other side of the shelf. So for 48 hours, I was sleeping 45 minutes at a time while listening to this. Which is so wild, I mean. Honestly, just... <laughs> I felt like I was torturing myself. You know, like um, like in, uh, in prisons or concentration camps or whatever, that they will torture people with sound. And so at times when I was really tired, it felt like I was like performing sound torture on myself, like waking up after 45 minutes, just falling asleep, waking up, falling asleep, waking up, and then like... But honestly, after about 24 hours or so, I had gotten so used to the sound that I started... It was really soothing. I started being really relaxed with it. I don't know. It's wild. Like this... Uh, this project has really taught me that um, listening is so many different things and you can you can really like claim sound from from listening to it in different ways so 
there's a difference to just just experiencing a sound just like listening to it because it's happening or listening like with a focus with a purpose um so listening as if you're recording even if you don't press record but listening with the thought of maybe this sound could work its way into a composition so kind of when i am recording i am composing mentally when i am composing i am listening you know like when I'm listening, I'm recording, even when I'm not pressing record, I'm thinking about should I press record? So all of these different stages of the work, they overlap and they kind of inform each other. And, you know, sometimes I do the work mentally before doing it actually. But I do the same work, I do the same process as many, many times and the same sounds I listen to in so many different ways and times. And when you record them, you take them out of their happening, out of their actual time, you know. So I would be playing the sound of the construction work in the middle of the night when there is no construction work. Normally, the night would never get to hear these sounds. It's not for the night to hear. But then I would play the day sounds for the night here in the tower. Something that might be considered a noise, something that when you hear it, like construction work, it's noisy when you're trying to sleep or like, you know, it can be really incessant. But then when you start like listening to the rhythms and the melodies and f picking it apart and kind of like taking ownership over it, you change also the way you perceive it and the way that you feel about it. You change your relationship with these sounds. So... Noise is like a concept in itself. What does that even mean? That is basically unwanted sound, right? So when you take a sound and you use it as material for your own work, suddenly it's not unwanted anymore. Your ears can still get really tired, but it's different. It's like you take control over the unwantedness and you like decide on it and you decide when and how. And so... Yeah, even something like this, the sound of like recording these tapes, you know, you listen to it long enough and like your brain starts feeling differently about it. Yeah, super interesting. And like I had a lot of mandatory theory courses throughout the spring as well. So I was also spending a lot of long days in school. I mean, I guess you could say that I kind of took a holiday for like a month. But it wasn't really, I didn't do much about it. I kind of just stayed in the same room, which sounds crazy because I've been cooped up in here. So the natural thing to do would have been to like leave the space, right? To be free, roam outside. But honestly, I think I had like asocialized myself or like what is the the, the opposite of socializing? So I had gotten like so used to being alone in here with like the blinds closed or or just like inside this room on my own that I didn't really know how to go out and about and be all social and take space in the free air like you know sunlight and all this like holiday outside everyone was like you should go swimming and all this but honestly if you have just been like curled up inside a really small confined space it it can be a little bit like this uh, agoraphobic to suddenly go out and about and be all like holiday energetic and and it's a tendency of these nordic countries like finland and denmark that the summer is quite short but really intense like the day is super long 
basically here. It's only dark for like very few hours every night now. And so it's daylight almost the whole time. Like and and because it's so few months of the years and it's so intense and people don't have a problem sleeping and stuff. Uh, this is like the intense social activity months where like a lot of parties and holiday and people are like socially like ooh, really active and yeah which can be so nice but it took me a few weeks where I was basically just like lying here as as if it was a halfway house I was like I was just lying here sleeping doing nothing watching tv series trying to like mentally distance myself from the whole process uh like take a distance and look at the work and start reflecting on it and analyzing it and start like uh applying external theory and like uh, I feel like having to do this immediately after being immersed in the doing of it is a little bit crazy so I did spend a few weeks like trying to to rest my brain and take a break and, and I was just so tired also it's the same like if I have been working as a as a server or a bartender or any kind of like manual physical labor if I've been doing a 12-hour shift, a 16-hour shift, some of these things I have I have worked long, long days before, you are tired afterwards, you know? After being on your feet for 16 hours, you are tired. You need to lie down and put your feet up. So after editing sound and thinking about sound and things for like a year, but especially for maybe two months without really taking a break or sleeping much, your ears are just so tired, especially when you're editing like noise and things. But also you are just like mentally used. And so even if you still like the project, even if you're still like a creative person, like your resources are worn out. I didn't completely burn myself out this time, but I, I think I was on the edge. Like you reach a point Oh, you don't have more creativity to give. It's not that you don't want to, it's not that you don't like the work, but you're tired. Like to make any kind of like art is, is a vulnerable process. It's, um, you make something and you have to trust intuitively that you have good instincts and, and that your decisions are right and you're working on the time pressure and you're not the most rested and, and it's a lot of like discussing with yourself about what to do, what to prioritize and what the work is about and why and how you want to make it. And like analyzing it and reflecting on it and trying to figure out how to frame it in this like thesis framework is also a vulnerable project. It's, it's not so easy. So you can be a really good academic person, good at reading, good at writing, but it's, there's this whole aspect that you are like writing, reading and writing about your own work and trying to draw lines between you and other artists and or like condense their ideas and like apply it to your own creation. You know, these words sound really <laughs> like a trope or something, but they are and it's like, yeah. Yeah, it's not super easy. Like part of the thesis is also part of my artwork. And so and whatever I claim and try to argue is something I'm saying about myself in to some degree and so that just gives this whole like level of imposter syndrome and confusion Ooh, what am I even what am I trying to say <laughs> yeah 
I was a bit frail right after the performance because right after performing something, right after this like first release of, of all this built up tension, you start like examining yourself and you're very self-critical. And so the last, the week after my performance, when people asked how it had gone, people who couldn't be there or how I was feeling about it. And I started like listing all the things I would have done differently. And people were like, no, come on, it was great. Or like, don't be like that. And it's, I think it's just a very typical thing for us to do, artists and performers, that um, we start immediately scrutinizing the thing and start like correcting and editing and trying to figure out how to adjust, how to improve. Because of course it was also a great experience, but I think, yeah, it's, you need to do it many times until you can become relaxed enough that you uh, don't feel like you need to mentally like make notes of correction all the time. You have to improve it gradually so that you can be happy with like the form of it. Uh, so I will definitely do like slight experimentations every time I perform it. Like for instance in Kusmata I am hoping that I can do like a daytime session and a nighttime session. I like this idea of the matinee <laughs> show in the daytime but also because the, the tape has a night side and a day side so either like perform the day side only in the day and the night side in the night or reverse or do the whole thing on each session but like Akusmata is so small and like it's also the secret little venue secret gallery that someone privately has just made Petri Kuljutsausta um, so yeah, I'm really grateful I get to use someone else's like hidden art space to present this hidden art space uh, but the, the space is tiny and also I'm aware that a lot of people like for some people the evening is a better time and for some people the day is a better time Anyway, I think also the, the energy of a day concert would be different than a night concert. Just like I felt like the energy of a day interview like this would be different from a night interview. But honestly, I mean, I don't mind so much. It's one year like this. The master's thesis year, I think it's a little bit of a psychotic year for anyone. It's like the culmination of years and years of studies. So I'm fluctuating between having really good stretches of reading a lot and finding a lot of gold in the material that I'm reading and uh, really feeling like I can see how the puzzle fits together you know like uh, like it's a criminal investigation and I have all these elements all these pieces on the wall and they're all intrinsically combined in this like web of thread and pins and notes only that I don't have the luxury of having it like visually on the wall. I guess I could do something like that, similar to what Madeleine Anderson was talking about in the interview, in the episode with her and her artistic research. But that would be an extra layer of work. So, I mean, I do have a whiteboard with some really ugly, messy, uh, uh, mind mapping notes going on right now but um, otherwise all of this is just like my investigation is um, 60 different documents on my computer basically that I'm trying to keep track of and then I have like one long text 
like of my own writing that I combined a lot of loose texts into this one long piece of text that I'm all the time trying to like move around pieces of the puzzle so that it maybe maybe flows better. It's hard to keep focus. I don't know. Maybe it's also just like 10 years more of like scrolling social media and and like my attention span probably has like decreased gradually through this last decade and so I'm at the moment like it's this flipper machine inside of me that is like every second day or every second moment I feel like it's going really well like I'm having all these juggling balls in the air and I'm doing so well and then dropping them on the floor a lot and completely losing overview and oversight over the whole thing and being really overwhelmed and feeling like I am drowning in 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 words about the same thing other people's words and my words and who said what you know when is a thought generalized enough that you don't need to directly reference it I don't know a lot of these things many people talk about people who work with sound the same t things come again and again and again so it's really hard to keep track of like where did I get this knowledge did I get it in a discussion in school like a year ago did I just read it last week is it something I came up with myself sometimes I come up with thoughts myself and then later on I realize someone else wrote them down 30 years ago and so I don't know if I then need to give this person credit for a thought that I initially actually had originally myself but they of course like put it on paper first so yeah I think if it was with no exam no examiners no like official graduation and official big legal instances as part of the process I wouldn't be so nervous with it and it would flow a lot easier I could probably work a lot faster uh, but I all the time get this like timidness <laughs> in oh my god it has to be correct actually do it well Poof, you know it's a lot of pressure but I mean honestly I think I'm also just like really tired of going to school when I write really well when I have these like like not last night but the night before I had this wonderful writing spur I wrote like several pages and they were good like they were really good pages um, then it feels like like the paper is writing itself you know, I know that I'm typing and and I know that the words originate in my mind but it kind of feels like they're getting pulled out of my fingers like they're just dripping onto the keyboard and onto the page flowing out of me and I'd, I'm not sure if they originate from me because that's the thing about this process it actually works I've been trying to read as much as I could and then I have gradually been writing more but for two weeks maybe I, I basically just read and so the more of these words that I read, the more of these thoughts that other people have on the subject and the more of these like phrasing, like ways of saying, talking about these subjects in the very academic, in the very poetic, in the very colorful language, all of this, like then it slowly absorbs into these like layers of knowledge and, and ideas in my mind. A little bit how the, the crust of the earth is made out of all these like layers of, of past 
and so also my mind is now like it has all these layers of past that is like inside me all this valuable oil of knowledge that is now flowing and then i can let that flow through my fingers and out uh so yeah the last week or so i have really moved into a stage of like really good writing where you know then i read and then i get a thought and i need to write it down immediately to not forget it and then this one thought becomes a page and a half and that's wonderful so the like the method is working i just wish that i would have an extra month to do it so that i wouldn't have to have all these like stressed moments i'm trying not to stress because it's really not healthy for me or anyone but yeah i'm realizing more and more that stress is really not helping any deadline so i'm trying to be like ridiculously calm <laughs> in the heat of the moment um no i lost my strain of thought um yeah, so you were talking about like your fluctuating concentration and respecting the process. Oh yes, so you see, when I have a night of like really good writing and I write like multiple really good pages, that's amazing. It feels really good. This feeling of like greatness feeds itself. It makes me more confident and it makes me more motivated. But also I know that I can trust what I wrote more. If I'm like trying to squeeze out something and it doesn't really feel right and like it feels clumsy and whatever, then probably what I'm squeezing out is not really that usable either. So, you know, when reading also, if you read the same sentence fucking 10 times before you understand what it says, because you keep losing your thought mid-sentence and you keep having to like start over, then that time is not really that well spent. I have to say that a lot of this text I do read more than once like not the whole text but there will be paragraphs that i read like multiple times and maybe i will look up a lot of words while reading just to make sure that i understand like exactly what the writer is trying to say or maybe just because english is my second language and so i am reading on a level of english now that is a bit outside of my vocabulary abilities so it can be a really slow reading process to, because it doesn't make sense to read something and not understand it. If I read it and I'm gonna use it, this knowledge, you know, these layers inside me, they need to be like proper because something else will go on top of them. So if they're not like, I need to trust that they're like pure and real and, and put in the right way, or I will start like archiving misunderstood ideas in my brain. And that's not really the right way, I think. In a way, I wish I would have had to write the master's thesis like, after two or three years and not after five because after two or three I still had a lot of academic motivation and at this point I really don't <laughs> I mean I don't mind reading the theory and educating myself I'm really tired of doing it on an institutional schedule and it's yeah it's slow and tedious but it's also really interesting because uh, it, it's like a treasure hunt you know you're looking for gold you're looking for things that are relevant and it's there and you have to like learn a lot along the way learn all these new words learn all these new ideas and then you can start like drawing these like or like uh, yeah suspending these like strings of investigative uh, red thread between things and you feel like yeah i'm starting to grasp it you know it's a little bit like trying to remember a dream and you can some scenes are like really detailed and clear 
but the order of them is messed up or some outlines you can kind of grasp but they're like blurry or hiding in the shadows or and then sometimes like these moments of clarity will like peek out from these shadows and like present themselves to you and you have to grab them while they're there and kind of hold on to them and then maybe you can like pull them up and more of the figure will show and then you can kind of like dig through your mind and remember something that was forgotten or remember a dream or something like this and uh, it can be an exponential revelation somehow uh, so yeah that's kind of how it feels for me with this thesis <laughs> I'm just like wading through like this muddy water of things and I know that everything I need is down there but I need to like find it and I need to to see it even though it's not completely clear um, and in the same way I guess a little bit like composing the tape was a little bit the same I think that it reflects quite well the artistic process of this work where I recorded sounds for nine months without editing them without even labeling them most of them I didn't name or anything so they were just raw recordings which is like a number or like a date and a time as a name. And some of them were several hours long. You know, I would accidentally fall asleep while recording. And so I would accidentally record for like several hours while I was just like sleeping and this whole soundscape was happening without me knowing. And I was of course part of it, but yeah. So I had to listen through just so, so, so many hours and so many files and I had to try and remember what they were and like categorize them and separate them into these like different folders of of sound that I had somehow decided these sounds they belong in one folder together like kitchen sounds my sounds like construction sounds stuff like this uh, but some of the sounds, because it's like ambient noise, a lot of the sounds I've recorded are these like rattling light fixtures or things like this, very mechanic, tiny sounds that I have amplified by recording on full volume. And so when listening back, it's not everything that I knew what I was listening to. There were surprises. And yeah, so that was a little bit like this investigation listening investigation um and also it was just a lot it was like picking up this massive archive and then just starting to dig through it to listen through it and so i studied now for five years and um and this is like the the last culmination um so i wrote a thesis in my bachelor level as well and then the master's program I have studied for one and a half years and now this last semester is dedicated to like handing in the thesis, finalizing theory courses and then the exam which is I have to present and defend my thesis and my, my creative work in front of the examiners and professors and, and, and an audience. Anyone can come, it's a public event. It's not just an exam. It's not just like going up there and like performing some kind of like position just to show that you know how to study. 
In the art academy is a little bit different because you decide yourself what you write about. I guess in university that's how it normally is. But we write about our own work, you know, reflecting on your own work in relation to the art history and other people's research and stuff. And maybe that's why it's a little bit um, that the process of it is more difficult for me than other academic writing tasks in or exams previously in my life. I'm I'm pretty good at going to school. I like studying. I... Upper secondary was really easy. I've really been longing back to those days. I was really good at it. Fuck. I aced all my exams. I really loved all these, like, going to an exam. I always felt it was a bit like a game show. Go into the room, you have an hour to dissect and, like, figure out the text. And then you have to go in and present it and see if you figure it out correctly. Um, yeah, this process is similar, but in a, like there are a lot more personal stakes and the process is so long that I get bored with it along the way. And so the process is that you're kind of immersed in the same thesis project for about one and a half years where you're like actively working on the same project ongoing. Uh, and there's not that much time for other things so it's it's pretty much like one process and one project that you're just like immersed in for this like enduring timeline for me at least one and a half years is a long time to spend on one thing it's not like i only just began writing this thesis now in the summer during the spring i already wrote like more than 20 pages while working on the work you know just like loose associations writing down ideas these poetic thoughts streams of words and stuff like this i don't know if you listeners have tried ever being in one of these like exam periods or study periods where you you work on a specific topic or project and so you have your theory and you're supposed to like yeah find the quotes that back up what you're trying to say and you're trying to figure out something which is hard when you're trying to figure out something about your own work but so I've always been quite good with this, like uh, reading with uh, highlighter pens and writing notes in the text and having like these color coded systems and underlining things and to like treat the, the things that I read as like material in, in an ongoing investigation. And so I need to like work through it and, and turn it into my material and like sculpt it or or like pick it apart and and color it and outline it and then I can then I really know it and then I can use it so it's a little bit difficult because I didn't sit down with this method of reading until now in the summer everything I read for the past year and a half or talks I had or videos I watched or podcasts I listened to or whatever all of this research has just been happening here and there. And so I do have notes on a lot of it, but they're like random scribbles in notebooks or papers I have had in, handed in in school, which is why I can't keep track of my color-coded system with highlighter pens, because the hardest part of this is like um, keeping the focus narrow enough that it's coherent. You know, you make an artwork and it's about a lot of things. 
But the thesis is easier to write if it's not about too many things. But then you can't really control the life of the artwork. That is like, if it's about a lot of things, it's about a lot of things. It's not, it's hard to dictate that um, because you have to allow the material its like its properties. And so you have to allow the artwork to be what it wants to be. And so then later writing about it is not so easy because it would be easier to just claim that it was about a lot less than it is. Um, but that's not true. And so you have to be sincere with your own thing. Keeping track of all of these texts, all these words, all these ideas and knowledge is like a crazy juggling work. Keeping track of like hours and hours and hours and like hundreds of raw sound files and recordings and like all the sounds within those files and recordings. It's also like a crazy task, super confusing, super overwhelming. Um, and then like starting to break those up and importing them into this like software where they become like bits and pieces on like a linear timeline. And then they become all these like layered tracks of sound that you can then like move around and visu visually put together the puzzle, but it's like also an auditory puzzle. And there's this linear time progression in the timeline, but I'm trying to work with like a circular timeline somehow in the tape, which is why there is no like right side to start with, like night and day, but you decide when listening, which is the right side to go first or, you know, it's like a circle timeline. Uh, so the composition work is also this massive puzzle and yeah you have these same moments of clarity or you know you have an idea of what you want to do I have an idea from when I start pressing record I have an idea of what I want I want to catch this sound sometimes it takes 10 attempts to get the right sound when you're not producing it when you're waiting for it to naturally happen um and then something magical happens in these 10 attempts that you will later be really happy about and find very valuable. But in any case, like I had a projected idea of what I wanted to compose, but also, you know, then you start listening and you start listening to the things in combination with each other. And then the material starts talking to you and telling you what it wants. So just like sometimes it feels as if the thesis is writing itself, um, which I'm so grateful for because I have a lot of these moments where I don't think I actually know how to write a thesis and then I feel so so fortunate that sometimes it feels like the thesis is telling me how it wants to be written and and then I can just like follow its lead which makes it a lot easier and so when listening through all this sound and like starting to combine it and and putting together the puzzle yeah, I think it's a little bit the same like uh, people writing a TV series, a TV show. You know, the first season is the pilot season. That is how the writers wanted to do it. And then the second season, they know the actors and they know how the actors embody the characters that they have written for them. And so they can start writing for the characters or for the, the specific actors in the characters and then it might become better. This is my first audio release. I mean, I've worked with sound before, but I have never myself before composed one and a half hours of sound in this way. 
with the purpose of redistributing it and performing it and stuff like this was a new uh, challenge for me a new experiment also now this editing of this episode will be like putting together a puzzle and I am so intrigued right now because right now this is the newest part of the puzzle and uh, yeah now I am just so curious to hear how the final conversation will pan out how the day me and night me will kind of like talk to each other and and what these two conversations will bring out of each other uh, because I mean the day recording was three hours and this one I don't know how long I didn't check but long I guess and so it will be hours and hours and then I will select parts it, you can't listen to I guess I could put out a five hour episode but I'm not going to do that I'm going to do maybe ma maximum three just because it's episode 30 so 3.0 so maybe doing a three hour episode is conceptually okay and it will also be fucking excruciating because it will be me listening to myself talking to myself for like five hours and uh, that is uh, really embarrassing and strange in many ways like I know I said that you get used to it the more you do it you never fully get used to it I think and so this meta level of me talking to myself twice and then like me editing myself talking to myself in two different instances that is a new level of narcissistic uh, method I think <laughs> it's very self-revolved <laughs> yeah I hope it's as interesting for you to listen to as it is for me to to do actually yeah this podcast episode is really good in the way like I said before that now it has been a while since anyone has read any of my stuff and or I have talked to anyone about this project. Uh, so it's a really isolated time of the process and it's in this time where you start questioning a lot of, of yourself in it. Um, and so actually like having this these conversations with myself about it I think is super valuable and will actually really help my writing a lot. Because verbalizing something like orally just while talking out in the space like this is different than writing I mean they both have this like free association opportunity that you can just like ramble but it's still it's I think it's different parts of my brain somehow still or maybe the same <clears throat> maybe the same parts of my brain but functioning a little bit different you know this brain muscle I think I'm flexing it a little bit differently whether I'm like writing or just talking what do you think we're missing? I mean, obviously, always just so much, right? Like, you can never... One podcast episode is like nothing. This is... Uh, I've been working on this project for like a year, obviously, to try and contain it and, and explain it within one episode is like ridiculous. So now I have to write everything I've just said in a very structured way. And like remember like all the ethics of shared acoustic ecology, like you know the envir acoustic environment. It's an eco ecological system that we share here in the world, and so there are a lot of like ethics within like recording sound and producing sound and reproducing and and all of this. And it's it's part of the thing. What is field recording? Uh, what is noise? What is silence? All of this.
Anyway, I think maybe I have spoken enough for this night. I feel my vocal cords are getting a little bit worn. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this project is spectacular. It might not be like important art, but I think it's spectacular. I really enjoyed. Um, and I'm quite proud of the of the actual like musical or, or sound work I did with it. Anyway, yeah, a lot more words. You see how easy it goes? Yeah, say one thing and then like the words just spill out of you. I, I feel like sometimes I just open my mouth and then sound just comes out like a fucking waterfall, you know? This is why I don't really know how to contain the conversation in this podcast episode now and it's probably going way too long because I am immersed in this very expansive part of the process. Like my thoughts are in this full expansion. All of the post-its are out mentally. All of the different parts of the uh, brainstorming of the what is it called? Mind map. My mind map is fully expanded at this point um, and not fully structured yet. And so this is a little bit of a crazy time to try and like summarize it verbally to someone who who is completely uninitiated and and hearing about it for the first time. But I hope I somehow managed. It was probably also an a valuable time for me to just ramble about it and uh yeah thank you for listening it was a good uh a good way to push the night's work a little bit further into the morning thank, thank you, you for, for listening. listening hope you enjoyed it